This show is brought to you in part by the University of Advancing Technology. UAT is a unique technology-infused private college that was founded by a geek for other geeks. Our mission is to educate students in the fields of advancing technology to become innovators of the future. UAT's campus culture is devoted to continually nurturing a thriving geek community where everyone's personal lives and professional aspirations revolve around technology. The beginning of the 21st century is an exciting time to be in the technology community. Current subjects of ongoing research and scholarship at UAT include robotics and embedded systems, artificial life programming, information and network security, game development, and other areas of advanced technology. Check them out on the web at www.uat.edu. Shoutcast streaming provided by Versus the World Productions, www.vtwproductions.com. Hi, folks. This is the Emperor. I'm here to remind you to listen to the Emperor's Court every Saturday from 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern right here at vtwproductions.com. That's the Emperor's Court, your three-hour break from Internet porn. This is Danielle Corsetto from Girls with Slingshots, and you're listening to Versus the World Radio. I hope you have a drink ready. Everyone ready to get the second tier of Phoenix Comic Con started? <laughs> wow, that is the most enthusiastic I've, I've heard this whole weekend. That's that's fantastic. That's the 10.30 thing. Wake up. Take it? It's 10.30. People have been up since 6. I'm starting to make faces at this point. I don't know. All right, well, this is the big idea. If anyone is confused where they are at. Jeez, there we go. There we, go. There we are. It's beautiful. Yes. Hey, hey, hey. She's introducing you. Shut I'm up. sorry. Sorry. Nice lady taking pictures. <laughs> I know she she beats me. That's cool. Nice All right. lady talking. Uh, now you win. For, for those of you not in the know, the big idea is a regular feature on whatever the blog of the one and only John Scalzi gives authors the chance to talk about the idea that led to the creation of their works. And here to share their big ideas are Kevin Hearn, James Owen will be joining us shortly, Sherry Priest, Jordan Summers, Sam Sykes, and Jenny Lee Simner. We'll get out of the way and let the man do his thing. Thank you all for coming at 10.30 in the morning. I know I wouldn't be up unless I had a reason to be here, so uh, I don't know what your problem is. So, um, <laughs> I thought what I would do is uh, talk a little bit about how I came up with the big idea, then I'm going to toss it to these guys. We're going to be talking <coughs> not only about the big idea, but that would become eventually kind of creepy because it would be, tell me how awesome I am to give you space on my blog. <laughs> And that's, uh, and so what we will also be talking about is just, uh, you know, a little bit of promoting oneself online, how authors can be helping each other, and also the discussion that we have as authors talking to uh, people about our books and, you know, what we can do to draw them in. So we're going to take a sort of expansive idea of the big idea rather than the, let's all say, Scalzi's awesome because... Eventually, that ends up with me being stabbed. So uh, the other thing is please turn off all your cell phones or put them on mute and stuff like this. Just like this. Go whoop. See, now it's completely, uh, it's completely muted. Please do that yourself. Make uh, the noise. Because I have appointed you as the crusher of people whose cell phones start. Exactly. Um, let me, I will start off with with uh, telling you a little bit about how the big idea started, which was um, in or 2005 or six, I think it was, I was working uh, for America Online as their online community manager. They had a place called uh, AOL Online Journals. Uh, and one of the things I wanted to do was to help bring attention to that area and also to help promote authors was give authors a chance to talk about their books and, and, and discuss them. And there are two ways of doing that. One could do interviews um, or reviews, or one could just let them talk. And the reason that I went with letting authors talk about their books uh, was twofold. The first is simply practical reason is I can't read that many books. And I would get, I get like 40 books a week, you know, and people are like, wow, how do you read them all? You know, and I, I sleep on them and they words suck into my head. No. <laughs> I literally don't have time to do all the, you know, read all the stuff that I would need to do to do interviews or reviews or anything else like that. So it really was a time crisis. But the other thing is, is that I find that often 
uh, it doesn't really help to have a mediated view of, of the book. What people like, as we know when we go to conventions and all those other sort of things, is they like contact with the authors. They want to hear what the authors are thinking about. They want to hear how they think about their own books, how they discuss their own books, how they sort of make that pitch to engage the reader themselves. So the best thing I thought I could do uh, was actually step out of the way and give the authors their own platform to discuss their own works, preferably their newer works, which would then be in the store so that I could help them with their first week sales, which is always really useful when it comes time to contract talks and stuff like that. But that's another practical issue. So that went on the uh, America Online uh, journal area for a couple of years, and then AOL did as AOL does, which is we'll take this com community that we spent years and years and years building and just flush it down the toilet, um, which is what they did. And I figured, well, that's sad that that happened, but there's no reason not to continue this on. So I put it on my website where it has been since 2007. Um, and in that time, I think I've had more than 200 authors uh, discuss their books, mostly science fiction and fantasy because that's the genre that I'm in, but occasionally nonfiction, um, you know, murder mysteries, other sorts of fiction. Uh, anything is open to pretty much anyone. They just have to you know, uh, tell me that they want it, and if it fits in my schedule, I'll generally put it in. Um, and so that's the sort of genesis of it, really the idea of letting, you know, I have this platform, I get, you know, a large number of people on my side a day, up to 50,000. Um, and as an author, I know that it's beneficial just to introduce your readers to other uh, authors. And so uh, I think that that's how it's worked. Now, actually, I would uh, like to ask our, um, our panelists the when uh, you did the big idea, one of the things that you do is I say to you, talk about your book. Um, and what I wanted to know is how easy or how difficult was it for you to be on the spot for 400 to 1,000 words uh, about your book to an audience of people who you know would be sort of interested but who may have never have heard of you? And we'll just go down the list and start with Jordan at the end. And make sure to actually introduce yourself just in case they don't know which, which author you are. <coughs> I'm, I'm Jordan Summers. Um, I think, um, at, at least initially, I actually went to your site and read several of them prior so that I had some idea of the way art, um, authors were approaching talking about their work. Because it's one thing to be able to sum up your work or do the um, actual kind of um, catchphrase of your, of your novel, but it's quite another to um, go on to a gentleman known for his science fiction, and you write um, fantasy romance and think, okay, they're going to hate me, you know, because I don't write in the genres that, um, well, at least not solidly in the genres that uh, he publishes in. Um, but once I, once I actually saw what everybody was doing, I think it, it, it gets much easier because then you go, okay, I need to um, give the um, kind of um, catchphrase of the novel and then explain really what went into creating the book. Um, and in my case, it was a twist on Little Red Riding Hood, so at least the fantasy aspect played into um, John's uh, readership. So that's, I, I, I was intimidated at first until I read the others. Yeah. Kevin? Okay. I think I'm going to use it. Hi, I'm Kevin. And um, I was actually never so intimidated as for doing this, just because I knew that the audience was so much bigger. You know, when you're guest blogging on somebody else's blog, um, you're maybe looking at 300 to 500, something like that. That's kind of the average. You know, there are some bigger ones out there, too. But, you know, John's blog is so much larger, you know, by, you know, a couple so of tens of thousands. Much so much. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be paying me five bucks for that later. <laughs> so um, I was intimidated by it, but but then I again I did uh, relax after a little bit uh, after I read some um, that other authors had done, and then honestly it was just the story of you know how did I why did I start writing about a druid in Tempe? This is set locally, and um, it, it was mostly because of uh, a confederacy of nerds. Um, that I play role-playing with, and uh, we're just talking about different kinds of characters. And um, I, th I thought a druid would be awesome to, to read about in the modern day uh, because of some of the environmental hazards that we've, you know, recently had. Um, you know, like, wouldn't it be cool if a druid 
took the BP oil executive and threw him in the Gulf. And then the Pelicans would be like, justice, son. And uh, so, uh, I, but, but then my, my nerd friend shot me down. Dude, the Druids are all dead. They're totally all dead. There's no way that this could happen. And then, you know, that became a challenge um, later, you know, the next day after I sobered up. Um, you know, as I remembered that I was challenged and, you know, and, and then I wanted to actually try to research, is there a way to make... Uh, a druid live all this time, one of the old ones, not one of the neo-druids. Um, and, and I found in, in Irish mythology, there's like three different ways they could have had, you know, eternal youth. And so that was convenient. And then I, you know, from there, once, once I uh, figured out there was a way to, to plausibly, at least plausibly based on mythology, make him live to the present day, I had to come up with, you know, well, why has he been hiding? Why hasn't he thrown the BP executives into the Gulf and so on and so forth? So, and that's how it came out. All right, Sherry. Um, hi, I'm Sherry Priest, and as a Gulf Coast girl, I just want to say I think that's awesome. <laughs> I, I grew up on the Gulf Coast myself, so I, I love that idea. Um, I think the last time I did Big Idea for First Callsy was for uh, Bone Shaker, which is probably the only book of mine you've ever heard of. <laughs> uh, the running joke with me and my editor was that it was an overnight success after 10 years with my seventh book. And don't get me wrong, I'll take it. <laughs> but... Um, it was the last book I was under contract for with them, and I was such a crappy seller that I kind of thought it was going to be my last book, maybe, under my own name. Uh, and <laughs> I, I had been reading whatever for some time, because John was one of the first people I, I became friends with in the writing community when, when I first broke into it. A little bit after he did, actually. Yeah. Um, we, were, we were kind of on the same tier there for a while of newbies who kept getting thrown on stuff together. and. I had been blogging for, I guess, since 2001 myself, so I, I like the idea. I am much more articulate on paper, especially if I have an editor. Um, so I, I liked the idea of doing whatever, especially because we had decided to swap out this, this book. It was supposed to be a vampire noir, and my editor saw that I was working on something else because I'm thinking, i got to change my name. I need you know, a different product. She liked it put it in the contract, only suddenly I'm doing American steampunk, which was apparently something you weren't allowed to do. Uh, very pointedly, I had, I had gotten thinking about it because of hearing people go on about how, well, you can't do American steampunk, it has to be gaslight Victorian. And I thought, well, that's you know, 10 pounds of bullshit in a five pound bag, as they say where I come from. And I had moved out to Seattle not terribly long before, and. Um, there's kind of a tradition of Weird West anyway, and I thought, we can use this. Why can't I do something set here? I think this will be fun. And I, even before it came out, people were going, well, you know, I got an ARC of this, and it was pretty good. Shame it's not steampunk. I mean, it's set in America. And I liked having the opportunity for a much larger audience. Because I have a, an audience, but I don't have an audience like he does. And, and there's some overlap, but, but not entirely. So you get to talk to a bunch of different people and kind of uh, justify your existence. <laughs> it's like, I, I did a steampunk book, and it's set in America. And if you don't like it, you can go jump. I don't even care. And <laughs> so that was, that was and it was a great experience. And I still get people occasionally uh, trickling in from that. Because if you Google steampunk, um, when it comes to American authors, there aren't really that many of us still. And uh, people, it, it, because his site is more trafficked than mine, often they start at that whatever post and yeah. then come find me. So I found it very useful and helpful. And Scalzi is awesome. Yeah. Because I want my $5 too. And <laughs> I'm, I'm eating lots of pizza tonight. Yay. <laughs> Sam. No, Sam's turn, yeah. Uh, I was actually not aware of... John Scalzi's website before uh, the bit before uh, he offered to let me be on the big idea and I just decided oh yeah sure because I tend not to think about what I'm doing before I do it that way I'm always surprised <laughs> uh, and it didn't really dawn on me what I was doing until the day I was supposed to turn that into him and I'm like oh because contrary to what I may seem, I'm much more adept at tearing other people down than I am at talking about myself. And it's very difficult to describe what I write. You know, it's misanthropes trying to fight fish-headed evangelists from somewhere beyond. And, you know, for a while I thought I was, I, I really wanted to build up the characters because that's 
the one thing I'm obsessed with. If you've been on any other, if you've seen any other panels of mine, I will relentlessly jabber on about the importance of characters, but it's hard to communicate why you should care about these people in, you know, 400 words or less. So I thought, well, they're people who only have each other in common. And then I thought, no, wait, shit, that was the Breakfast Club. I can't do that. But then, and sitting, you've just heard it, the way it came to me was to just start talking about why this book was fun for me to write, why I had to write it. And, you know, you've just heard it in these fine fellows jabbering on about why it had to be American steampunk or a druid in Tempe or evil Red Riding Hood. And at that point, everything just sort of fell into place. And, yeah, I've never once regretted doing that. How many okay. dollars is that good for? I think I owe Scalzi money after this. <laughs> <laughs> he's, giving, he's giving me a ride to my bookstore appearance later. We're good. <laughs> when I first saw that, I'm Jenny Lee Simner, and I have a series of post-apocalyptic fairy books, and I'm also working on the 10 to 20 year overnight success oh. thing. Represent. <laughs> but um, when I first saw the big idea <laughs> columns, what appealed to me about them was that they do promo in the right way, I think. I think the worst way to try to sell your book is to say, here, buy my book, buy my book. Because we all stop reading and listening when all someone has to say is buy my book. So I, I did go through and look at some of the other posts first. And for my book, I'd been kind of obsessed with the first fairy book, the it's after a post-apocalyptic fairy war. And so the world is filled with deadly magic and trees try to eat people and everything that can grow does grow. And in the second book, it's winter for the first time. So writing it, I had been kind of obsessed with the whole business of, well, what is it like if you've never seen leaves drop from trees? Now, what is it like if you live in the Midwest and you've never seen that kind of gray? And then I realized as I was writing it that that actually made a lot of sense to me because I'd been out here 10 years by the time I wrote that book. <laughs> and the trees killing people made sense too. But I just approached it the same way I would approach a post on my own blog, once I had a sense of kind of what sort of a post it was, which was to just kind of, you know, chill out and talk about writing process and what I enjoyed about that rather than about the book from a sales perspective. And it was fun knowing it was a different audience, you know, knowing that it was, especially as a young adult writer, knowing that I was hitting adult science fiction authors, readers, because there's a lot, there's more and more crossover there. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah. And this is James Owen, who came in late. Not that we're judging him. I came in late, but I brought party favors. So I'm hoping that'll make up for it a bit. Um, I'm the author and illustrator of the Chronicles of the Imaginarium Geographica. And uh, it's a series about an atlas of maps to imaginary lands. And the core idea, the big idea that I wrote about, and uh, about the fifth book in the series, The Dragon's Apprentice, is the fact that the caretakers of this atlas are people in the real world that we know. The three main characters in the first book uh, that I never give away in panels because they're people that haven't read them are, are people you know. They're famous authors who became famous after the adventures in this book who were friends in real life. And that was, that was the core of this whole idea for this series because that was a, a concept I was passionate about. I mean, what's sitting up here right now is part of my big idea, writers and community. There are writers on this panel that I've never met before. There are writers that I've blurbed their books. There are writers like Jenny that I've been friends with for years. And the whole idea of writers and community, that these people actually knew each other, that they were reading excerpts of these books to each other and saying, hey, did you see this new cover I got? And hey, did you read my new short story? Hey, can, can I help you out? Can I help you to move your career forward? Can I help you show your book to an audience that might not know about it? as John has done with everyone here, that, that to me is half of the fun of having this as your career. And uh, something I brought, I did bring party favors. Before I got into the uh, illustrated young adult fantasy novels, I was a comic book author. I wrote and illustrated a graphic novel series called Star Child. And I went and found in our storage room, Star Child number eight, which I drew in a week at WonderCon <laughs> with the flu. <laughs> 
because I had to keep my deadline because I'd made a bet with another comic book author that I could do this monthly for a year. Um, in the back, I had a letter from a guy named Jim Valentino, who was one of the founders of Image Comics. And in that letter, he wrote about buying his first issue of Star Child and how much he liked it and how he'd like to offer me a back cover ad for free on his series Shadowhawk, which at the time had a circulation of 600,000 copies a month. And thinking about what John had done in offering the big idea, it was very much what Jim Valentino did in giving me that ad for Shadowhawk and giving Starchild such a huge level of exposure that it hadn't had before. So um, at the end of the panel, I brought a stack of this issue of Starchild for everybody here in the room that would like to have one and take them with you. And uh, the last comment I wanted to make was, um, when I got my schedule for this convention, uh, I'm on a buttload of panels. <laughs> and they came to me and said, we realized, and I said, I took it as a sign of love, but man. Um, and they said, well, we can take you off of a couple. And they said, do you want to be dropped off of this one or that one? And, and they said, do you want to be dropped off the big idea panel? I said, no. No, for one thing, I've got friends on the panel. And for another, I wanted to be on this panel specifically to tell John thank you for giving us this opportunity, and me in particular. Well, oh, thank, thank you. you. I promised myself I wouldn't cry. <laughs> and notice no money was exchanged there. Yeah, yeah. That was smooth, wasn't it? It really was. It was very nicely done. There's Making a us look kept bad. That, seat, that seat open. Um, actually, though, uh, James' uh, comment there actually dovetails into my next question to, to the panel, which I think is a, is, is a good point, which is uh, one of the reasons that I do this uh, simply is because I believe in the concept of paying it forward. I got lucky. Uh, I've got a wide audience, I, but I was also helped by other authors. Uh, Cory Doctorow, for example, gave me a really nice blurb. So did Ken McLeod, uh, and so did Robert Charles Wilson. Um, and those people helped give me credibility to people who had never seen my book before. They pick it up and they look at the back and they go, "Oh, Robert Charles Wilson, he blurbed the book. Uh, that that could that could do me some good." Um, and so the question for for me to you as a a panel of authors uh, is. Is there a obligation, you know, uh, for authors to help other authors to sort of pay it forward? Are we, as uh, James suggests, a community of folks, or are we, for example, competitors and need to think uh, strategically about who we help and, and who we don't? Is this something that is a, uh, are we friends or are we uh, colleagues or are we just people who just happen to do the same thing? Um, let's start in the middle, actually, and start off with Sam and then open it up from there. Uh, no, it's not at all a competitive sport because there's no such thing as a reader that only reads one book. Uh, we are never, you know, from a purely mercenary perspective, we're never at a loss for having more diversity in uh, authors and in books. But it's not about mercenary ship, you know. If it was, I wouldn't be here. I'd be setting fires in the hall, trying to, <laughs> trying to get John's <laughs> panels emptied. Uh, as it stands, I only do that, you know, for my own pleasure. Uh, but the, the author community, I had absolutely no idea what to expect, but I was blown away by how welcoming and how supportive this, uh, this whole community is. Uh, you know, when I first got published, I had a, it never once occurred to me that there might be people who did not like my book. That just never occurred to me. And so when I got my first negative review, I was like, oh my god, I'm being attacked. <laughs> and, you know, I had no, it, it shook me up pretty bad. And you know, I had no idea who to turn to. Uh, so I looked to one of my favorite authors, Joe Abercrombie, who I have only who I had only met once, and my only interaction with him was that I had flicked his ear. <laughs> and so he was he remains the only author I've ever physically assaulted. <laughs> And uh, I turned to him and I said, you know, sorry about the ear thing. 
I kind of don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> and you know, he gave me just some great advice. You know, something I quote today, it gets easier, but it never gets easy. And from then on, I went on to find out that pretty much every author, it's in every author's best interest for another author to succeed. Like I said, from a mercenary standpoint, the more diverse the readership is, the more likely people are going to come back to you because they won't get tired of you. They'll have other stuff to read. Uh, but, you know, I don't like to think of it as a mercenary standpoint. I like to think that we are friends because I have never met another author who I have not gotten along with. So we are people who do the same sort of thing. That, and we're in the same profession. And because of that, I think, yeah, we're pretty much bound to be friends. Uh, go ahead. Oh, I was reminded how much of a community this is, when, which I already knew. But, you know, you forget things. You get into your little writing cave. When I realized that Fairy Winter was coming out the same day as several far better selling books. And my first reaction was, oh, they're not going to buy this book. They're going to be too busy getting XYZ, noticing XYZ. And then what happened instead was first this community of like April 5th release people kind of banded together on Twitter. <laughs> so we were all supporting each other that way. And then readers were seeing this community of April 5th release dates all kind of banding together on Twitter, and it was kind of a really nice reminder that this is not a zero-sum game. You know, readers just like hearing about books, we like talking about books, and we really are in this together, and it's not, you know, there are X number of slots, and no one else's books will get read by anybody at all. Um, I'm an absolute believer in the idea of paying it forward. Um, when, when I, I started my career in comics when I was very young, and I was in my early 20s when I started Star Child, and the first issue sold enough copies to pay the printing bill and buy pizza, so that had achieved two of my major goals. Um, second issue sold only 600 copies, and we had to sell a minimum of 1,000 just to pay the printing bill. So now, no printing bill, no pizza money. And two weeks after the second issue of Star Child shipped, I crushed my drawing hand in a car accident. And everyone in the world said he had a lot of promise, but that's over now. And I had to decide how badly I wanted to do what I wanted to do and told everybody else in the world, thanks, but you're wrong. And I actually wrote and laid out a prequel issue called Starchild Number Zero and started calling other comic book artists and saying, will you ink this for me? I laid it out left-handed. But I asked other artists, will you ink this for me? so I can pay my bills while I go to therapy for eight months so I can do comics again. And some of the greatest comic book artists in the world inked those pages for me. My friend Alan Dean Foster, a novelist who lives here in Arizona, wrote an introduction to it. The famous uh, science fiction artist Kelly Freeze wrote an afterword. Will Eisner, who was doing The Spirit in the 40s, inked one of my main characters for one of those pages. This is the guy our industry awards in comics are named after. And by then, my hand had healed enough after putting screws into blocks of wood for four hours a day for eight months. And I was able to ink a couple of the pages myself, and we released it, and it sold 45,000 copies. And the basis of everything I have done since, the, the Imaginarium Geographica books, everything I have been able to write or draw and to do as a career is based on people helping me out when they had no reason to do so, because they said, he's one of us. He's got a seat at our table, and we're going to see him through this. And that, that's how I have always felt. Um, anybody that, that comes to me, uh, if, if they're sincere, if they've got something of quality, if there's somebody like Sam who's already sitting at the table, you bet. Yeah. Sherry? All mixed up here. Um, yeah, uh, what they said. <laughs> you know, I, I also got my start fairly young. I got picked up by a micropress when I was 23, and that went badly. And then I went to tour when I was 25. Um, and, and I was really, really fortunate in that. Because it's a really hard industry. It's really hard on your ego. You, you don't get a lot of feedback really regular, regularly until your, your material comes out, at which point it may be good, it may be bad, eh, you know. But the, the fun thing about readers is that if they find something they like, they don't stop there. They go looking for more things to like. And it really is in all of our best interest for our friends to do well. Um, so, so that is extremely you know, 
awesome and important. And I think the first person who was ever really kind to me, who was a large professional at, at, at the time, was Leslie Banks, who writes as L.A. Banks and does the Vampire Huntress Legend stuff. <clears throat> She's fantastic, by the way. If you ever get a chance just to sit in a room and listen to her talk, you should totally do it. Um, <laughs> but I, I didn't know this woman. She's a New York Times bestseller. She's huge. And um, my uh, editor sent her an ARC of my first book, which was called Four and Twenty Blackbirds. And lo and behold, this woman gives me a blurb. And she didn't just give me a blurb. She emailed me to tell me how much she liked it. And then we met up at Dragon Con. And she's quite tall. She's about six feet tall and wears heels. <laughs> and <laughs> she, no, she's, fant- <clears throat> Excuse me. she's really amazing. And she dresses goth head to toe. This <coughs> I'm sorry, I'm still a little sick. Um, she like picked me up and hugged me and introduced me to all of her friends. <laughs> And uh, I was like, I, will, will you just adopt me and be my new mom? I think my old one's defective. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> and she has just been, so still is immensely supportive, and I just can't say enough good things about her. And we weren't really even doing the same genre, but I was just this noob. And I ended up on a panel at one point with about eight or nine people. This was Dragon Con, so the panels are kind of big. And every single one of us on that panel had a blurb from Leslie because she's really invested in kind of helping people as they come up, and uh, which is just an admirable quality in anybody. So I, I do try and pay it forward if I can. And uh, Bone Shaker really changed things for me. I, I went from having to beg my publisher to put me up for one night for a trade show to, to suddenly doing two to four uh, out-of-state events per month for about uh, 14, 15 months. So I was really, really busy all of a sudden. And I don't have the time that I did because I ended up like, like stopping my day job and just doing this now. But when people kind of do, especially like I said, with steampunk, there aren't that many of us. So I'm one of the only visible steampunk writers and all the up-and-comers want to get their stuff in front of me or Scott Westerfeld, who, who does the Leviathan and Behemoth stuff. And uh, a handful of us. But since there's only a few, every, we all get all the same queries. And it's really hard because sometimes um, you know, you're on the road or you have a deadline or whatever. And I try, though, every single book gets at least three chapters of my attention. And if it doesn't have me in three chapters, I I just kind of say, look, I'm really sorry. I'm just too busy to read this, but I wish you the best of luck. And uh, when it does come out, let me know, and I'll talk about it on my webpage. Because even if it's not for me, you know, it may be great for somebody else. I don't know. And if they've got me in three chapters, I'll at least read enough of it that I'm comfortable blurbing it. <laughs> and, and I will be honest, like, like, I'm really sorry I didn't have time to read this whole thing, but I bet it's really great, and I loved what I read. Here, let me say something nice about it. I, I never blurb stuff I haven't read. But I do try and give everything a chance, and it, and it is really hard. But, um, I, but people were so kind to me coming up. I would feel like a giant douche canoe if I didn't, <laughs> didn't move that forward in some respects. So I, I try really hard. I don't always succeed. I don't, I, and, and we tell among friends, we don't always read each other's material. Sometimes you read the material, it's really not for you, but they're your friend and you don't want to say anything. So it's kind of an understanding among me and some of my friends. If we say, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm too busy, I didn't get to read it, as likely as not, it's true. And so we just don't question it. <laughs> I'm just going to assume that you didn't have time, you know, because if you loved it, you would have told me, right? But, but you can't get your ego all tied up in that, and you have to separate people's work from people. And, and when you get the bad reviews, it's not an attack on you. It's, it's somebody who doesn't like your material. And it's, it's a learning process is all I'm saying. And it's great that there are people who are a little better established willing to kind of help some of us on our way up. Um, yeah, what she said. Also, um, I have. I'm, I'm much more of a newbie. My my little book is only three weeks old, so I I'm not in the position where I can really pay it forward yet. Nobody really knows who I am. So, but but I have gotten great help from um, <coughs> Kelly Metting, Nicole Peeler. Um, Kelly writes Three Days for Dead and and uh, the Drag City series, and Nicole Peeler writes uh, Tempest Rising and the, you know the Jane True series. She's she's wonderful. Um, and I have something else in common with Nicole. She's a professor. I'm, well, I'm a high school teacher, not really the same level, but I understand the teaching thing. And um, also, Ari Marmel, you know, he blurred me too. So um, I'm, I'm very grateful for them um, for giving me, a, a, you know, giving my book a look and saying nice things about it. And um, I'm looking forward to the time when I can help somebody out too. Um, there you go. Yeah. Jordan, um, my experience has been a little weird because I've. I've got friends who are lovely and who have given me blurbs and whom 
you know, um, didn't really need a, you know, Melissa Marr and Janine Frost and S.L. Vale and, and a lot of people that I can turn to when I need things like that. But I've also got friends who truly believe it is a kind of them against everybody else. And, and I always think it's really sad because this is such a solitary profession in general that I, I just don't think writers or artists in general should turn away that connection, you know, because it, it is genuinely offered. I mean, I've had strangers write me um, emails asking me questions about publishing, and if I can answer it, I do, because yeah. I think if, if I can help them avoid landmines or, you know, anything to get them going in the right direction, I'll do it, because people step forward that didn't know me from Adam when I was starting and did the same. So I think it's just, if you, if you have the mindset to where it's you against everybody, it's going to be a very hard slog in this industry. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I will close this line of question with uh, my own story of uh, instant community building. My very first convention was the 2003 Worldcon. Uh, and I went and I knew nobody. I had just sold a book. My book wouldn't be out for another two years. Um, and so I'm wandering around the York Hotel and I see my editor, the only person I know in the entire country of Canada. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I go up to him and I say, uh, you know, I say hello. And he says, well, how are you enjoying this? Patrick Nielsen Hayden. And he says, I, it's fine. I just got here. I, I, I literally don't know anybody but you. And he goes, oh. And then he reaches out. And there's a stream of people moving back and forth, you know, through the lobby. He reaches out. He's looking at me like I'm looking at you right now, Jordan Summers. Just grabs someone. Just seems to be random. Reels them in. Uh, and goes, John Scalzi, Cory Doctorow. Cory Doctorow, John Scalzi. Cory, John's your con buddy. And he walks off. <laughs> <laughs> and Cory looks me up and down. He says, okay, come on. <laughs> so through that, because Cory, you know, I was Cory's con buddy. Cory introduced me to all, all his friends. And I, I had mentioned to them all, I have a reading uh, tomorrow. And I don't know anybody who's going to be there. And, they go, and he says, okay, well, you know, maybe we'll show up and stuff like that. So my reading, because again, nobody knows me. I've never, you know, been in, in science fiction or publishing or anything else before. Just no idea who I am. I have six people at my reading. And one of them is just some nice lady. And, you know, I don't know who she is, but she's forever in my thoughts. Um, but, the other five, but the other five are Cory Doctorow, Charlie Strauss, Justine Larbalestier, Scott Westerfeld, and Nick Sagan, son of Carl Sagan. So not a bad first reading. No um, And that's why uh, I read them the first chapter of The Andridge Room, in which somebody farts someone else to death. Of course, always a good way to start new friendships. And, uh, but that's why that particular book is dedicated to those five people, because they went, you know, they had no reason to, except that they had just met me, and they said, come on, he's one of us, let's go, let's go to his reading and support him. And so, yeah, cool. absolutely, it's a community. We are at the uh, 11.07 mark, which means we have about 20 more minutes, which means that we burned through 40 minutes in, in, for wow. two questions, which is kind of awesome. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> but let, let's go ahead and open it up to uh, audience questions. Please raise your hand if you have a particular question. If you don't, then we'll just go on from there. Yes, in the back. You, you've all talked about networking with other authors and getting help from other authors to get um, the word of your book out there. Uh, how do you network and use bookstores and booksellers? I, I work at a bookstore. How do you use that to get the word out there? Okay. I'd so actually like to know the answer to that question. Okay. <laughs> the, the, well, let, me, let, me, let me rephrase the question, just, or let me repeat the question just in case someone didn't hear it. I've canceled four of your books. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> the question is, we're talking about how to use other authors uh, to uh, get the word out. How do we use uh, bookstores and booksellers to do the same? So go ahead. And libraries. Yeah. And, and, and I would libraries. just like to say that we love booksellers. <laughs> um, I'm, I, in 2006, I moved from Tennessee to Seattle, so it was a huge leap. Um, but in Tennessee, I was 90 miles from Atlanta and two hours from Nashville and an hour from Knoxville, two hours from Huntsville and Birmingham, respectively, and five hours from Louisville, where my dad lived outside of there. So I would hit I, everybody. I just it, Stores that I hung out at, I would ask friends who lived in the area, like, what are your locals? And I love the indies because you have people who, you know, they have these stores not to get rich, but because they love books. And uh, we love them. 
So, uh, and librarians, sometimes there's, a, there's talk among people who are kind of still in that competitive mode of libraries, boo, people read my stuff for free, you know, shut up. Uh, <laughs> seriously, libraries have been immensely supportive of me and they give us places to hold events. And, and here's the funny thing about libraries, if someone has checked out your book and they don't have any more copies of your book, but other people want to read your book, they buy more copies of your book. <laughs> They don't pull it out of their ass. They have to go buy them, okay? <laughs> um, so we love librarians. Um, but in Seattle, I didn't know anybody. I didn't know my way around. And one of the first people I met was Dwayne Wilkes at the University Bookstore in Seattle. And Liz introduced him to me when she came through town. Dwayne. Is, <laughs> was, do you know Dwayne? Dwayne? Um, Dwayne, the great mumbler. He'll, he'll, he'll leave me voicemails on my, on my phone. I was just kind of like this. Anyway, I don't really know what's going on. So. What I usually do <laughs> is I just drive over to the bookstore. It's about four or five miles away from me and just stand under him and go, what? <laughs> what did you need? But Dwayne knew of me and about three or four other writers who are kind of the same tier. And uh, he likes to throw events at the university bookstore. It's a huge bookstore. It's not kind of just for the university. That's just where it is. Uh, they've had Bill Clinton and all kinds of exciting people there, so it's a big bookstore. And he started putting us together for these author events. And it became, it, it, me and Kat Richardson and Caitlin Kittredge, who's now left, and Mark Henry, and Rochelle Mead, who suddenly became really rich and famous. <laughs> but we still love her, and she's wonderful. Uh, <laughs> Rochelle Mead, who has like nine million books in print, uh, she does the Vampire Academy series, did her first reading with me for my third book. <laughs> And she is amazing and lovely and wonderful. And between us, we formed Team Seattle. And we have toured together. And, and we, we kind of recommend each other out for events. Uh, the Science Fiction Association, uh, Writers Association, is starting a new thing in Portland, a reading series. Yeah, we have a reading series that yeah. begins in Portland. It's a trial thing. And if it works, we're going to franchise it and take it on the road. Right. And somebody approached me about it and said, hey, do you know anybody you want to do this with you? And uh, well, obviously, I knew Rochelle was on tour. <laughs> but I reached, and then Caitlin was in Boston. So I'm like, well, how about Kat Richardson and Mark Henry? And, uh, but, but all of that, this huge networking thing. And I visit routinely seven stores in the greater Seattle area that is just my circuit where I go and sign stock. Uh, which is really weird, by the way, if you're a new writer and you walk into a place and you're like, hi, I think you carry my books. Um, would you like for me to sign them for you? <laughs> but bookstores love that because they have a 12 to 18% higher sell-through rate. But nobody ever asks me for ID. Like, I could be anybody. <laughs> Walking in, like, I'm, I'm Steve King. <laughs> you know. Except every once in a while that happens and authors will go in there. And uh, just up in Prescott, um, they built a new shopping mall a few years ago with a nice big Barnes and Noble. Alan Dean Foster, who lives in Prescott, wanders in and starts signing books and a clerk goes over and says, excuse me, sir, you're going to pay for all those, right? <laughs> and, and he says, no, I, I'm the author. I'm going to be signing these. Uh, it'll help you sell them. And the guy says, you're the, you wrote these books? And he says, well, yes. And he said, uh, you, can't, you can't just scribble in the books, sir. <laughs> And Alan says, no, I'm the author. And they brought over the assistant manager, and they said, oh, are you going to pay for those? And he said, I'm signing them. I'm autographing them. And they said, oh, oh, can you prove you're Alan Dean Foster? And he reached, and his wallet was in his truck. And he says, I'm so, I can go get my ID. It's just outside. And he says, sir, we're going to have to have you wait for security. <laughs> so every once in a while, that backfires. But uh, on those lines, um, that's a really good thing. Uh, there's a bookstore in, in Scottsdale, Desert Ridge, Barnes & Noble. They are my single best-selling bookstore anywhere. And one of the reasons is I stop by there every time I come through the valley and make sure all the stock is signed. So they always have signed books. And so she gives me a full shelf and an end cap. Um, I was talking to Jim Hines about some of the stuff he was doing for his Goblin books. And I said, you know what? All these signed book plates and bookmarks you do, I've got somebody I should connect you with. So I sent an email to Erica. The, the community relations manager there said, Erica, Jim, Jim, Erica. Uh, Erica is of our tribe. Erica, Jim is one of my guys. Take care of each other. And now that is one of his best stores in the country. It's, it's making those connections. And all it, all it has to be is an introduction. That's all it was. And the credibility that goes both ways. Jim knew that if I was recommending this store, they would help him out. Erica knew that if I was saying, Jim's somebody that's going to work with you, that she could trust that. Right. Can I tell you one thing about that same store? Yeah, go ahead, and then I, we'll open up to another question. Okay, I went in there um, on my release day, 
and because uh, I was doing a circuit of the valley. So I get up, it's actually the last store I visited that day. So I walk in there to introduce myself to this, uh, to the, the Nook person, because there's extra short stories with the Nook, ver with the electronic version. So I go up there to, to introduce myself and say, hi, I'm, I'm Kevin Hearn, I'm a new author. And she was reading The Big Idea. She seriously was reading it. Uh, and, and, and there I come up and introduce myself to her. She's like, whoa. So that, that is a very cool uh, store and just uh, interesting how that worked out. Um, I just, oh, yeah. uh, I'm just going to say, yeah, go ahead. Oh, uh, that, hi, that's you. <laughs> I didn't recognize you at first. Well, you should introduce yourselves to all of us at the end of this panel, and we all totally, but I was going to say the library thing is huge for me as someone who has teen readers, because I will, even at signings, even when my job is to sell books at that moment, I will tell teens that my books are in the library, because I never want to have to tell a teenager, if you don't have $20, you can't read my book. So I actually, that's definitely part of, of my talking about my books, yeah. and pointing them to local bookstores, too. Um, well, and also, I think with the libraries particularly, that's where you grow readers, and then they grow up, or, or they are able to go out and find the rest of your stuff in bookstores. Um, I have a local bookstore, J. Mary's Book Center, uh, and every year, uh, right around Christmas time, one of the things that I do is tell people, if you want signed copies of my books, you know, go through Jay and Mary. We'll get it all taken care of. Um, and it, it goes two ways. One, it makes them aware that, you know, I'm out there. But it, more importantly, uh, it's also supporting your local, your, your, your local booksellers, uh, because I think that's important. The Jay and Mary's bookseller is the only independent bookseller, like, in 30 miles. The next thing is Books and, books and Company all the way down in Dayton. Um, I have a vested interest in making sure that people can go into bookstores and find my books. Um, so, and they have a, you know, and, and I think they're pleased that, uh, you know, they have something to say, oh, we have a local author, you know, he's doing, he's doing reasonably well, here's, here's his stuff. So it definitely goes both ways. Uh, any other questions? Yes, ma'am. Uh, I know I ordered all of them. Kevin, I ordered all of your audiobooks from my library. No, thanks. So, I mean, but as a new format, to try and reach additional readers. Okay, the question is audiobooks, how do we feel about uh, promoting them as a, as a new format? So, uh, anyone? Um, I actually uh, had it out in a couple of different formats. There was one that was done just for libraries that's like a one book audiobook, and it comes encased in like a video cassette case. And it looks like an iPod, but it's got the cover of your book on it. And it's meant to be checked out more easily, uh, as, as opposed to losing one of the seven CDs that go with an audio version. Um, we got the same reader to do all seven of my Imaginarium Geographica books, so there's a consistency there. And the kids love it. And, and going to do a school event and having a kid come up to you and, and talk like a badger with a Scottish accent, <laughs> because he's listened to that on the audiobook, <laughs> is very cool. And, and so yeah, when, when it's... Um, it's something supplementary to my main work. Um, something I, I got to discuss with Neil Gaiman once. Audiobooks read by somebody else are the author's first chance to experience his own work. Because it's an interpretation. It, yeah. It's an interpretation that you, you didn't do. And when it's something that you're happy with, it's helping to further your career. And yeah, I, I absolutely would, would support it and have. I, uh, uh, thanks. Um, I just put samples, uh, Brilliance Audio that does my books, they put, uh, they have released four libraries on their library site, like a five minute sample of each book. And so I basically put that link on my website um, and that's all I'm doing currently. I, I'm not sure what else to do. Because I, I figure a five minute sample is you know, gonna give people a good, you know, good look at, at the book and then there's a link for them to buy it somewhere too if they're, if they're interested. So um, if, they, if the audio book publisher wants me to do more, I'm happy to do it. They just, they seem to be happy so far with that. Um, it, oh my God. Uh-oh. Must smash his phone. Smash him, smash him. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've been very fortunate that, uh, especially recently, uh, a lot of my uh, 
books have been read by a fellow named um, Will Wheaton. So, yeah. Oh, um, yeah, we got him to do Zeke's chapters and, for Bone Shaker. Uh, we, just let, we got him to do Zeke's chapters for Bone Shaker. Yeah. So I just let Will promote my audio. Yeah, books. no, he's, <laughs> he's great because he apparently he has 1.8 million followers on Twitter, and he, he's not oh shy about God. talking about himself. So it really does, it really does he's help. He's Leo. But the other thing that's sort of fun, because you were talking about the, the chance to experience your own writing, uh, one of the things that, that people have come up to me, they said, oh, I listened to the, you know, Will Wheaton do you? And, and you know, he sound, you and him sound like very much alike. You have the same vocal, you know, things. And it's like, well, yes, we're more or less the same age, grew up more or less the same area. We have more or less the same shoes, you know, um, <laughs> you know, as far as it goes. And so it's actually very exciting for me to hear that because sometimes, uh, you know, just to have, because it sounds like me if I was a lot more professional sounding <laughs> and not much half like I am. Um, which is not to say that you shouldn't all stay for my reading right immediately after this panel. But, um, <laughs> but the thing about it is, is I think that you're absolutely right. And, uh, and I kind of have had this ambivalent experience with uh, audiobooks. I think there are two ways that they can be written, re read, and sometimes <coughs> they're read for uh, clarity, and other times they're read for effect. Um, and sometimes you need something that's read for effect and it gets read for clarity, in which case I'll, I want to stab myself in the ear because it's not a, a good listening experience. But on the other hand, that's just my personal opinion and it's not anybody else's fault. And I have had people say, you know, I really like that particular uh, audiobook of yours. So um, it, is, it, is an interesting ex it is an interesting experience hearing your words come through somebody else's, else's mouth for the very first time. And, and if it's real good, um, the, the third audiobook of my series, The Indigo King, we got that, and I listed the, um, the prologue to the book, stuck it on my website for months, because all writers go through these periods where we're convinced we suck. <laughs> and, and usually it's on whatever book you're writing now. That's the worst thing you've ever done. The one that's just out was brilliant. The one you're working on now absolutely sucks. You've lost all that talent. I listened to the prologue read by this, this Scottish actor and thought, oh my god, that's good. <laughs> oh, that was, that was, that's what I hold to myself as proof that I actually know how to do some of this. <laughs> uh, any other questions? Yes, with the interesting uh, hat in the back. Medusa. <laughs> Uh, the question is, when we were starting out, what had the most bang for books in terms of giving out samples and stuff like that? Um, anyone? I gave out as many ARCs as I possibly could. I didn't have a problem with giving out, you know, free books because I didn't, it was more important to get the word out than it was to worry about whether or not, you, you know, you were losing a sale or gaining because most of the people that you're giving ARCs to um, aren't necessarily people that would have picked your book up in the first place. I think, I mean, it sounds, you know, sort of idealistic, but the most important thing was just writing a really good book. I mean, even beyond giving anything away or doing anything else. But then one thing that's been helpful is my publisher has been very excellent about sending copies to any book blogger who asks. I mean, even if their blog has three followers in the beginning, I'd kind of say, well, I'll forward this to my publicist, figuring at least that'd be polite and being sure they would turn them down. But they have shared many more books than I could have afforded to share that I would have wanted to, and I think that actually has made a difference. I feel totally weird having my own books, like aside from like one prize copy that I sometimes stroke covetously. <laughs> uh, you know, I get, I get copies from my publishers. My agent just sent me 20 tomes from Canada. I have no idea what to do with them. So I frequently just throw them at people. Uh, you know, I don't think it's, it's not necessary to worry about sales lost or anything because the fact is they're reading your book and they're probably going to talk about it. And I have never met an author who regretted having more of his books out in the uh, populace. So yeah, just... Go nuts. That's, that's actually a key point, is if you give away a book, you, you've given away whatever the cost was for that one book. But if you gain a reader, uh, like, like John had said earlier, or, or, you know, a couple of people have mentioned this, if they pick up one thing of yours that they like, they're more than likely going to look around for what else you have. And if you're working at this as a career and creating more and more content, um, you're going to have more for them to buy. And you build a reader for the duration of your career. 
And as far as giving stuff away, that, um, that story I talked about with my car accident, I'd written a nonfiction book about it called Drawing Out the Dragons that I published as an e-book uh, that we have on the website. And a couple weeks ago, we did this promotion called 24 Hours of Good Karma. And all you had to do was send me an email saying, please send your dragons, and I'd send you the ebook for free. And I sent out about 300 free ebooks in that 24 hours. One of the people who got one of the ebooks gave it to one of his friends. And last Friday, I had stuff all over Facebook, all over my Twitter, all over my, my journal that some kid who's a valedictorian of Mountain View High School here in the Valley used my book in his baccalaureate address. And I checked my Amazon stats the next day, and I'd sold 190 more books in that 24 <laughs> hours. So, you, you know, you give away stuff, and it comes back to you. Yeah. Sherry, you look like you were about oh, to say well, something. That's all right. I don't have to. It's okay. <laughs> uh, my, my very first book uh, was set in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where I lived at the time. And my very first professional event was at the Southeastern uh, Booksellers Association trade show. And Tor had sent, I think, four boxes of these things to get rid of. And they were like, it's your job to get rid of them. <laughs> mm -hmm. So they parked me at this table with these huge stacks of these books to give away for free. But when everybody's giving away books, not everybody wants free books necessarily. So uh, the great thing was they're independent booksellers and they're mostly regional. And I have lived in the South most of my life. And a lot of these independent booksellers are nice little old ladies who are very suspicious of these New York people who come <laughs> to Winston-Salem or where we were in Winston-Salem. It moves around a bit. But when they'd get to me, I, feel, like, I have a fairly neutral American accent. And I decided that that didn't need to be the case when these nice old ladies were coming up to me. <laughs> Like, hi, how are you? Yes, no, this book is set in Chattanooga. That's where I live. And uh, would you like to try a copy? And I, we gave out everything. And then somebody found another box that we had to give out later, and it was great. And then a couple years later, and, and the independent booksellers, they're like, wow, this is something set here in the South. And it's not making fun of the South, which was something that was really important to them, and I understand that. And uh, since I was a local kid, that was okay. But a couple of years later, I got a phone call from Patrick Nielsen Hayden, who had never called me before. I'd never met this man. I didn't. I knew he was, obviously. Um, but he calls, and, and I didn't recognize the numbers. Like, and he talks really fast. He was like, "Hey, Sherry, listen, this is Patrick Nielsen Hayden. I've got something to talk to you about." Okay. And he's like, "We're going to be doing this free promotional thing where we start giving away copies of books uh, through Tor.com." Tor.com. Tor.com, we're, we're giving away free ebooks, and we would like to include 4 and 20 Blackbirds, your first book, in this promotional giveaway. How do you feel about that? And I was like, pretty sure I don't have the e-rights on that book, and you don't have to ask me. <laughs> and he goes, that's completely true. <laughs> I said, okay. I mean, thanks for giving me the heads up. <laughs> and I, to the, that was, well, like six years ago. I still get people emailing me saying, you yeah. know, I, I picked up your series because when Tor.com was, it was when they first launched. Yeah, so it was they, like five they, or six years ago. No, it was actually two years ago. So. No, it was longer ago than that because no, I was no, living no, no. in a different apartment. The, the, the uh, two-year anniversary just passed because I did a story for it. Oh, maybe it wasn't so for maybe it was there. before it launched. But they they did a lead up into it. Okay, because I, I was so living in a different apartment. <laughs> I know this was more than two years ago. We're both right. Okay, we're probably. <laughs> right. it, it was several years ago that he called me, and then some time passed. Right. But I say all that to say this. Uh, yeah, no, I still get readers from that promotion that went out years ago, and um, and that's why I have a backlist that yeah. continues to sell a bit. So. Yeah, uh, and for me, and I think after this we'll go ahead and close it up. For me, I mean, I did very much the similar thing with her. But the other thing I do is on my website, if you go, they, it says the Scalzi Creative Sampler. And the Creative Sampler has the full, the full book of Agent to the Stars, an earlier iteration, lots of copy editors, uh, copy errors and stuff like that, but it's still all up there. Um, it doesn't actually compete with the other version. You can buy it on Kindle for like six bucks and people do, but the, the version on my site is up there for people like, I've never heard of this guy, what does he write like? You get a full novel, you get a whole bunch of short stories. Uh, it has not uh, had a negative impact on my sales at all, and in fact, it's very positive because if you get them, as has been said here before, if you get them reading one and they really like it, they're like, I'm in. Because yeah. it's, that, it's hard to find someone that you really like and that you sort of like click with. And if you really click with them, you're like, because I get these emails all the time. People are like, I read one of your books. It was awesome. I just downloaded everything onto my Kindle. And you're like, awesome. That's exactly the way it's supposed to work. We are at uh, 11.27, which means we have three more minutes. So what I want everybody on the panel to do is to say goodbye and to... Uh, uh, tell us very quickly what's coming up for them. Um, do it in like 15 seconds or less. Each of you will start again with Jordan. Go. Goodbye. Um, I, I've got uh, Bloodlight uh, 2 coming out in September and Mass Market. 
Farewell. Um, I, uh, I have Hexed coming out June 7th. I have Hammered coming out July 5th. It's this back-to-back -back thing that Delray's doing. And I will also be downstairs at 632, table 632, sharing it with Sam um, from 12 to 1. If you'd like to come by, say hi. Love to see you. Auf Wiedersehen. I think we're going to get the whole song in here. Um, I have coming up, um, crap, I have four books coming out this year. Uh, <laughs> the first one's out. It's Bloodshot. It's new. It came out in January. It's Trashy Vampires Who Don't Sparkle with uh, Cuban-American drag queen sidekicks. Um, the sequel to that is Hellbent. It comes out in July. In June, I have Fort Freak with the Wild Cards Consortium through George R. R. Martin. I wrote the frame story in Interstitial. And then in September, I have Ganymede, which is the next steampunk book done. I think I might set a fire in the hall out. <laughs> <laughs> That's where uh, Tome of the Undergates and Black Halo are out now. Uh, the Skybound Sea comes out next year, maybe. <laughs> I am working on a third fairy book right now that will be out in a year or two, or hasn't been scheduled yet. And in the meantime, I have a story just out in the anthology, Welcome to Border Town, which is a new Border Town anthology for the first time in 13 years. And speaking of sense of community, I think it's kind of awesome because it's like old writers and new writers from that series getting together. And I will also probably be down in my booth for a little while after this panel. I've got two more of the Imaginarium uh, Geographica books coming out, and I'm also about to launch um, the Mythworld series of novels that I've only had published in Europe as e-books, and we're releasing them monthly uh, starting this month. And um, don't forget to pop up here if you'd like to get one of the free copies of the Starchild comic book, because I had to bring something in here for John to let me in the room. Yes, there you go. <laughs> um, and then I, very quickly, uh, my new book, Fuzzy Nation, just came out. It's available downstairs in Mysterious Galaxy. I'm sitting directly across from them. I'll be there after my panel. Uh, additionally, if you stay for my reading uh, and question and answer session, which happens at uh, noon, uh, you will hear an excerpt of my upcoming novel in 2012, the title of which I'm not going to tell you yet. But <laughs> it's really good. So, and that's everyone. That's everything. Thank you all so much for waking up early to come talk to us. I am Gnomewise. I am Gunora. I am Iolite. I am Daxa. I am Grail. And I am versus you. I am versus you. And I'm versus you. I am versus you. And I'm versus you. Casually Hardcore. Sundays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. GMT. Only on VTWProductions.com.